0: tell what's on my head and mind. Um, uh, love you later by the podcast. Maybe I should start over. No, psych monologues. Uh, and I I apologize for being a couple days late. I've been striving to uh, do this podcast on Wednesdays and, and uh, this week has been um, moderately crazy with uh, school starting and everything else that goes along with that. So um, I'm a little behind the eight ball in uh, getting started here. So my apologies. Um, you are joining, as I said, the Love You Later By podcast. I'm Dr. Ray Mitch. I am a professor of psychology at, at Colorado Christian University. And this podcast was created just to reflect and talk about and look at and, and make observations and try to even normalize some of the experiences people have around uh, loss and uh, grieving and uh, things of that sort. Oftentimes, we'll take an off-ramp and uh, find some other topics to talk about. I I did a two-part series over the last couple of weeks with a friend of mine uh, who is the voice for the Daily Audio Bible, a, a podcast on uh, iTunes and uh, elsewhere where you, you can find it, um, that uh, has had something around the vicinity of 40 million downloads over the course of its life and it's been an amazing reach uh that brian has had just in reading the bible and reflecting on what it has to say for people's lives and and things like that so i was uh, delighted to be able to take kind of a hiatus of topics and and talk a little bit with him about his reflections and thoughts about uh, being on a silent retreat what it was like for him and uh, the things that that, uh, he appreciated and loved and surprised by and all the things that really went along with that. So I would encourage you to go back a couple of weeks uh, and look at the last two episodes uh, during which Brian and I just had a a conversation about silence and and our silent retreats. And and at the end of the podcast, I I, uh, have... um, a, a request of the audience to um, join us and and help us to continue our uh, offering of of uh, silent retreats for college students at a time when they just simply wouldn't get that experience but lest I take take the thunder away from the end and maybe we can have you hang on until we get to that uh, point uh, to be able to hear a little bit of what what we have to say and the the need that we have that we uh, would ask people to consider prayerfully, consider how they might join with us to to do that. So um, to to launch into what we uh, what I want to talk about tonight, and some of this is is actually connects up with Brian, I have been engaged in a thirteen uh, year journey of reading through the Bible every year. Now, you might quibble with me over the word read. Uh, partly because uh, I, it's something that I do every morning, and I listen to it. Uh, and, and obviously, some people would prefer to actually read the Bible itself. Uh, and in my case, I, I have listened to it over the years. And quite honestly, I probably have gotten more out of it than when I read it, partly because reading the Bible in a two-dimensional setting like reading does often tempts me into seeing the Bible in a two-dimensional way rather than the, the incredible stories of very real people just like you and me that have very real problems just like you and me and have very real um, solutions and responses to those problems just like you and me. So uh, on that note, I, what I wanted to do tonight is, is uh, take some time to address the issue of how do we go about and comforting those who have experienced some kind of loss. Now that may be loss to death. That may be loss to a job. It may be a loss of uh, a plunge in their own sense of themselves. You might say the loss of a self-image or self-esteem or anything like that. And and any. Any number of things that we face, really, that we once thought we had and now are gone. And the reality is, is we're all living in this. I I have begun to, and I've mentioned this on previous podcasts, that I I began to realize that even stepping into, for me as a teacher, stepping into a new school year, but then having all of these balls to juggle of students that are going remote and are coming into the class via Zoom and the st- students that are in seat and, and managing as trite as it might sound, managing, trying to teach with a mask on and, and being heard and being understood. And masks have a way of, of removing a lot of f- feedback and communication that I need as a teacher, I, I need to see my students faces, all of their faces. And I jokingly say that I you know, I need the, the bobblehead community here. I need people to give me some feedback by nodding their heads or whatever. And, and I, I have wonderful students, they're very cooperative. Um, and so they help me on that front in terms of nodding their heads when they're getting something. Unfortunately, the other side of the coin, you don't often get somebody shaking their heads um, in terms of something they don't like. And, and I, you know, we don't do that very much. A lot of times we nod our heads, even when we don't agree. Some of that is that we're still trying to process what's been said. And, and that's certainly understandable. Now, what my, what's my point? (laughs) My point is, is that all of these changes are really mini losses, if you will, because I've lost all, all the, all the impact, all the, Uh, input coming from the interaction to dynamic communication that occurs between a teacher and and his or her students. So we've lost that and we pay a penalty, not a penalty, we pay a cost for that. And sometimes it doesn't even hit our meter, our register of, excuse me, of our emotions that that we're paying any cost until over time, we start to feel more weary or fatigued because we're working so hard. And and there, I've read a number of articles already about the cost of having online conversations, of doing things via Zoom, and for all of the, the, the wonder of having, being able to communicate with somebody uh, via Zoom, you know, uh, auditory, and also visually, I mean, years ago, we didn't even think about such things. I mean, the whole idea of seeing somebody on video was just a, a pipe dream at best. The fact that we could hear people over the internet was, was, wow, that was just amazing at the time. And now we're conducting home meetings with hundreds of people. So given all that, I, I have my own private theory about how people are responding to this change and not really identifying the fact of what they have lost as a result of that. Now, all that's background because I think it's, it is loss is a common experience. Life, birth, and death are common experience for all of us, which means eventually we're going to have a loss in our lives if it have, hasn't happened already. But what I was reflecting on, and, and I'm in, at a point in reading through Scripture that I'm reading, um, or I'm listening to, to be specific, uh, listening to um, the Book of Job, and you know, I I have said this before in other contexts, but the Book of I love the Book of Job, partly for the raw, unadulterated honesty that exists between. These these four or five friends, and you know, Job's they're they're often referred to as quote unquote counselors, but I you know I honestly I think that would elevate them, because we're told that they were Job's friends and they saw him from afar, and the way Scripture reads, they didn't even recognize him because of what uh, how uh, decimated his health was and and how he was a shell of the person that they would look for not to mention the fact that he was in intense mourning because he had lost his entire family he had lost all of his status in terms of wealth and and property and all the other things and you know that again that that toll is just Insurmountable, it would seem, and his friends come up, and they do something that's very traditional um, at that time, and that was something that the the Jewish religion refers to, or, or and at the time the Hebrew religion refers to, is sitting shiva with somebody, which is, means sitting with that person in their grief, and in silence, which connects up with something that we were talking about for the last two weeks. And quite honestly, jokingly, and I've heard a lot of people say the same thing, is that his friends did their best friendship work in the first seven days. It wasn't until they began to open their mouths that they began to really mess things up. Because now, suddenly, we go from sitting in silence and living and feeling the tension of a friend's sense of grief and sorrow to now let me help you explain this. Let me tell you about God to you. And let me tell you about you and what God thinks of that. And that's what I want to try to address here a little bit. Is I have had people ask me a lot because I I, I wrote a book many years ago. It's oh, It's well nearly 27 years ago, which is just mind-boggling. But I wrote a book called Grieving the Loss of Someone You Love. And, and I have people uh, approach me and say, you know, they have somebody that has lost a person to death or is experiencing a loss just of a life loss or what, something like that. And they say, I'm not real sure what to say. I mean, what, how do I comfort somebody in the midst of all that? And that's kind of what I want to address in, in light of or in, not really compared to, but to, to look at and understand what Job's friends attempted to do and perhaps what we could uh, attempt to do when we walk alongside someone else. And, and when you look at, at Job's friends' approaches, uh, Job's friends' approaches started out really ultimately with reminding Job of the truth. And they all took a different run at it. Uh, depending on the translation or the paraphrase you read, these guys really go after somebody who is in, who's really mourning. <laughs> and there, there was a couple different days when I was listening to it and thinking about it and thinking, wow, holy, that's coming on pretty strong to somebody who basically has had their emotional skin torn off. But they they charge in, all three of his friends charge in reminding God of the majesty of God and the sinfulness of man and how man is a worm and he doesn't you know he, he's here one day and gone the next and and who are you? Basically the the, the major statement to Job is who are you to question God? And, you know, I, 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 when I listen to this thing, I, I begin to reflect on myself because I've, I've had my own fair share of losses. Um, I, I, didn't, I don't know that I processed my loss very well when I was 12 years old. My dad died. But I've had losses since. My mom has, has died. My mother-in-law has died. And at those points in time, I started processing the grief differently. And as I reflect on that, I begin to realize that I, I have a lot of friends just like that because they are so convinced that the truth is so correct and so right that that's really all I need to hear and then my emotions will come into line. So there's while there is an intellectual assent to my emotions and the role that they play in my life, There is a greater uh, fierce, even fierce uh, loyalty to telling me the truth because that truth will correct things. I will see it the right way and then all of my emotions will be able to be handled or go away or dissipate or whatever that might be. And that's really in a lot of ways Job's I mean, they they go so far to go even farther from not only reflecting on God's majesty and his sovereignty and and accepting what comes from the hand of God and all those sorts of things, which you hear. You hear plenty. But they even go farther to say, um, you know, how dare you question God because this wouldn't be happening to you if you weren't sinful, if you weren't mistreating the poor, if you weren't doing this, that, and the other thing, whatever that might be. So essentially, Job's friends were, was con, were convinced that there's a cause and an effect. And the cause was Job, the effect was the loss, and, you know, dare I say it, but shut up and get over it, because after all, you created this mess, now you have to make a bet in it, and this is your loss, and this is the way it goes, and just deal with it. That's the way it goes. And quite honestly, we're never going to hear that. Nobody is going to come up and, and be quite so blunt and, and some would say rude to our friends and say that. But our tendency, though, when we take that route is the implication is like I said, is kind of get over yourself. Get over your emotions. They don't really matter. Cling to the truth. And sooner or later, it'll all resolve itself. The big looming question is, particularly in the heart of the person who's mourning, is that if I buy that approach, and yet my emotions still bubble up to the surface, then what is wrong with me? Why can't I seem to... Just do it that way. And so, while the truth is still true, I'm not denying that, but I think the one thing that I I would say is that an ill-timed truth is received and experienced like a weapon. The person receiving the truth might nod their head and say, yes, indeed, that is true. But they feel like they have just gotten beat up. And when you're in the place of mourning, being beat up for even feeling the, the emotions of mourning is just, you know, one hill too far. It's, I... I, I I don't have the capacity. I have already lost so much and then my friends come along and either put a nice little bow on it which Job's friends really didn't do that but <clears throat> try to explain it in light of my sinfulness and and man's sinfulness if you want to get even more global. And and so and it, it, there is this massive assumption that information and truth is enough to clear the way so that my emotions will just go away. And they don't. They simply don't. And that's where the problem comes in. And I might add that for people that have lost someone, that's also where they begin to feel isolated. Because the the question comes to your mind very quickly when you have friends that go this route is well they don't understand and they don't understand and to go one step further they don't accept where i'm at now is that matching the intent of the friends no that, that their their intent is is attempting to be compassionate and usually oftentimes they do with other people what they do with themselves so they 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 Push all the truth on themselves, and they convince themselves that truth is enough, and, and then move on. And the problem is, is, our emotions have to be contended with somehow, and most of the time for a lot of Christians and otherwise, it's it's a matter of, what do I do to deal with those emotions? Well, I just deny it. I just say it's not there. It just doesn't matter. It's unimportant. And move on. There is a consequence to that, though. And the consequence to that is I would refer you back to the very sec- the second episode I did in this podcast. And I told the story of Love Canal in New York State uh, near Niagara Falls. And it was a community that had been Basically built over a toxic waste dump, and so it you know that it had been lost to history that that it was a toxic waste dump over this community, and the the water table got contaminated by all the toxic waste, and that got into the water supply, and people got sick and got cancer and all sorts of consequences come out of that. And the comparison I made to that is that buried emotions are just like the toxic wastes under the community that leaks into the emotional water table and contaminates every other interaction thereafter. And how does it do that? It impacts how I relate to somebody else. that you know I, I have uh, you know, uh, emotions that I'm not willing to say exist but yet they still impact me, and I, or the other part of that is it impacts relationships because now I begin to have, to have it contaminate my relationships, and I get scared of being abandoned because I've lost a person to a relationship or death or whatever that might be. You see that that leakage into our water table is where it shows itself. It doesn't show itself directly. It's not like it bursts onto the scene. Now, it may on an anniversary, because in a lot of cases, an anniversary comes around and we're, we're reminded of that loss with that anniversary. And then we, we start feeling it all over again. So his, her, his friends jumped at and pushed the truth with him. And there are two things that I, I want to try to answer then, because most people that are listening to this say, okay, well... If that's my tendency, then what do I do? And there are two things I would suggest. Remind the person of connection and remind the person of your companionship. Because just accepting and affirming and validating emotions does not mean that I am giving them permission to stay there. How do I deal with the toxic waste that I, I have buried in my soul with denied emotions? I, accept, I, I recognize and accept the fact that it's there. I now begin to surface it so that I can, I can um, examine it. I, that's where truth comes in. I can validate that the emotions I'm feeling are part of the loss. And the funny thing about it is, is as acceptance comes, then freedom and healing comes. So when somebody goes through that process, they need to be um, reminded and they need to be encouraged that one, they're not alone in it. And, And then secondly, that there is a connection and a companion who is willing to go on this journey with them. The challenge of all of that is how do I enter this person's world as they experience it, not as I think they should be it or live it. Now, I may be the wisest person in the world that I can tell somebody, this is what you should do, this is how you should do it, and if they just did it, it would work out great (laughs) or better. But is that what somebody else needs? At some point in time, maybe. But timing is everything. Remember what I said earlier. An ill-timed truth, still truth, truth that's good, information that's good. But an ill-timed truth is experienced like a weapon. The person feels like they're getting beat up. Which means how do i affirm where they are in order to empower them to move from where they are and that's that's the commitment of a friend but we not only have to say look i'm 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 with you in this no matter where this takes us i'm i'm willing to walk with it i don't understand it i the the emotions and the intensity and What you're talking about, I don't understand, but I really want to try to understand that. So, one, the connection. And secondly, the companionship. I will walk with you through this journey. And Job's friends, I mean, let me me insert something here for a second. Job's friends are really good at the truth. The problem is, is emphasizing only truth often separates me from the person because now I'm, I'm standing in a different role with the person and I'm teaching them something rather than helping them discover something. And if I haven't taken the time to affirm, validate, live in, embrace, wrestle with my own emotions, then I'm probably not going to do that with somebody else. There's something I say on a regular basis, and my students all know and they and because they've heard me say this before is you can't lead somebody someplace you've never been, and that includes the the validation and acceptance of my all of me, not only the realities of my experience and the stuff that we would call true also the emotional experience that i have and even the spiritual experience i have but between you and me i would rather have a friend say to me help me understand your world rather than let me tell you how to explain your world because that would that's exactly what job's friends did as they said i and, and you can read, you can kind of read between the lines. The friends are saying, look, I'm just trying to help you. I'm just reminding you of your place in the universe. I'm just trying to help you to, to put things in order in your mind. And once you get those things in order, then all these other things will kind of take care of themselves and we won't have to deal with that. Or the really, um, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but but the back office that we don't see is perhaps, I'm not adding anything here to scripture or anything else, but as humans, we hate feeling helpless. And when somebody's experienced a loss and I'm their friend, I feel completely helpless to help them feel any better. And I hate that feeling. And with that feeling then, what does that launch me into doing? Still trying to fix it, fix it by explaining it, fix it by whatever. It never, oftentimes, I shouldn't say never, but oftentimes it never really occurs to us. I used it again, sorry. But oftentimes it doesn't occur to us that maybe just the reminder of companionship and connection is the 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 healing that can come through that relationship not the not the unveiling of a profound truth that will bring everything into order and the person will say oh i never thought of that now i understand now i feel better because I, the journey through loss is also a journey through life and in my way of thinking I need a companion, I need people that will walk with me and help me and talk, you know, uh, sounds kind of cheesy, but walk with me and help help, help me talk through the life that I'm leading and the journey that I'm on. Not always giving me an answer, but making observations and trying to make sense of things from my, my point of view. And that's not being selfish, that is not being self-centered, because all I've got, generally, is my point of view. Now, I've got, I, I can expand my point of view to include other people and, and know those sorts of things. But my engagement with other people starts with the ownership of me and what I can offer. I can't offer something to somebody that I've never owned myself or know myself. So that's, that, that's kind of the key if you will, of entering somebody's world, of comforting the grieving or comforting someone who has lost something. And again, the sense of helplessness Job's friends probably felt because, I mean, this guy was completely devastated. And and they didn't have a ready-made answer, although they filled that answer with a lot of pontificating about God and his sinfulness and all those other things. And honestly, I I give them credit. I mean, they're they're trying to help their friend as best they know how. But they missed the point. And the other thing that, that the the other kind of observation I will make is about Job. Job seems very arrogant. And it's like, I've done nothing wrong and I want an audience with God and I will make my case and God will change his mind. And if you just do a cursory reading, yeah, that's where you're going to land. But I would point you to, let's think a little more deeply about the nature of Job's relationship with God that would give him the kind of freedom to want to get in front of God and argue it out with him. That's that's remarkable freedom. That is a remarkable level of relationship. And it's hinted at. It's hinted at throughout with what Job says. He said, Even if he slays me, I will still believe and trust and worship him. And that gives us a little bit of a window into Job's relationship with God. And the crescendo, the piece de la resistance at the end is watch what happens. Because, yes, God, I mean, when God comes down in the whirlwind or whatever it was and talks to Job, we hear a condescending, um, shame based approach with Job when he says, Where were you when? you know the lion has her cubs and her her you know she's able to do that or the 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 leviathan he talks about and and all of the wonders of his creation where were you and i, I think this is just me i'm no theologian i'm just a lowly psychologist but i think we add that perspective to god's voice because he's making observations of the facts of who he is. It's not trying to shame Job into groveling like Job does. It's, this is the facts. This is me. This is how I do things. And the reason I say that is when he gets to the end of that and Job says, woe is me. I will cover myself in sackcloth and ashes I know not of what I speak. And but the thing that's interesting about that is once you get to the end of that, and there's a turn in the story, God turns his—you might want to say—his withering eye on Job's friends, and the the wonder, the wonderful thing, I, I and I think it's very refreshing, is he says, "You need to go to Job, and." Have him make sacrifices for you because he knows me. He has represented me well. Now, if Job is being such a cheeky, undeserving worm of a human, I don't think God would have said something like that. But he says, Job knows me well. He is—he has the kind of relationship that gives him the freedom to engage me even in his anger and confusion and pain. And I don't condemn him for it. As a matter of fact, he has the kind of relationship that you should look to him to do your sacrifices for you. It's a remarkable thing. It's really quite a remarkable thing to take a look at. And so when, when it comes to comforting, and walking alongside people who have had a loss of some sort, whatever that might be, instead of reminding them of the truth. Now, there's a time to do that. I am not saying that there isn't, but allow your reaction and your initial entry to be one of reminding of the connection that you have with this person and your commitment to be the companion they need. And then, when the truth begins to show or begins to uh, be talked about, you're now in a trusted supportive role rather than a teacher who's trying to teach the information necessary to clear things up. And I, I, I think it's I think it's worth a shot. I, I I have seen it over and over again. I think ultimately, uh, it ends up coming back to that's what a counselor does and and I think that's why I want to change the the you know the conversation from instead of job's counselors because you know quite honestly, they give counselors a pretty bad name to job's friends, and they made their best shot at trying to help their friend. They kind of missed it the mark, but we learned something from that, and that helps us to know. How do I walk alongside people that are in mourning? And the commitment to being a companion and the reminder of connection may be the best way to do that. Well, that brings me to the end of, of uh, this episode of Love You Later By the podcast, the, the psych monologues. I have a couple announcements I want to just remind you of. I mentioned at the top of the, the podcast that. Um, uh I lead a silent retreat for CCU students. I've been doing that for about 11 years and we have a need. We we have a need. We need we have partners. We need partners that will partner with us to make it possible for CCU students to go on the silent retreat. There's probably no time in their life where there's a greater window of opportunity to engage God in a way that they've never done before and quite honestly their lives do not go unchanged and and it's i have watched remarkable changes occur as a result of this silent retreat with college students and and you know if you're listening to this and you're older and you've been through college think back to those days and the in a sense the impressionable how impressionable we were to the significant people in our lives and the centerpiece of a silent retreat is god is the center people the cent- central person in the story and in the interaction and in the listening and all those other things it is a significant taste of i think a lifelong um discipline a healthy discipline of of experiencing god and reconnecting with god through silence and solitude so um if if that interests you if you are would like to partner with us any anything will help we've got a really steep hill to climb uh, as a result of the pandemic and and you know um, the funding and everything else at a university like ours all the universities, all schools have really taken a hit um, on funding, and so programs have gotten slashed, and and things have gotten slashed, and and our retreat is one of those things that really has gotten hit. So we need we need to raise funds, and I, I put together a GoFundMe site uh, to to raise uh, funds for this silent retreat that would allow CCU students to go um, uh, with in an affordable way. The amount of money that it takes to, for uh, one person to go on a silent retreat for a college student is a pretty steep, again, it's kind of a pretty steep ask for them. So, um, and it's, it's you know, basically for a three-day retreat, it's $330. Um, and we have raised about $700 and we need to keep moving forward um, because, it you know, we're teetering on the decision about whether or not the retreat this fall is really going to make it or not, and so um, I'm not trying to create an urgency. I'm not trying to to you know manipulate people into giving or anything like that. It's just listen to God's heart and your in your own heart. And if your heart beats a little faster when I start talking about that, then please check it out. It's on my website drmitch.com. You click on the drop down menu for CCU and go down to the silent retreats, and you'll see uh, there's a GoFundMe site for you to uh, contribute. Uh, and also, you see the information about the, the website or about the retreat and where we go. We go to, to uh, the Sacred Heart Jesuit Retreat House in Sedalia uh, and some of the sights and sounds of it and other things that go into it. So, please check that out on my website uh and uh um consider prayerfully consider how you might partner with us to do that. Uh two other things just to sub- encourage people to subscribe either subscribe to the website it's in the upper right hand corner of the the website at uh, drmitch.com uh or you can go to podbean and that's uh raymitch.podbean.com and you can subscribe to the podcast um, now that school has gotten started and I get my rhythm back and trying to get these things done every, t- every week, I think I'll probably have more and more to talk about because I'm going to be talking about shame and grace and, and, uh, all the other aspects of what we're talking about in a podcast like this. Um, so, uh, the next podcast will be coming out next Wednesday and, and it will hit. And if you subscribe on Podbean or on the website, you will, um, you'll be notified when the next episode comes out. I, I would encourage you that if there are things in here that you've heard and, and um, it, it resonates and you, you feel like you think of other people that might want to hear it, please pass it on. Um, that that, that uh, it, it would be an encouragement to other people around you, please do so uh, and pass on either the website address or, or anything else. Podbean, by the way, has its own um, app Uh, for your phone. So you can subscribe to that. And then you'll just automatically download the episode when it comes live again. So the GoFundMe site and Podbean and the website. And I think I have pretty much overstayed my welcome. So thank you for joining me tonight. It's been a a pleasure to uh, spend some time reflecting on how to comfort the grieving. And uh, as always... Love you. Later.